Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Ghost of Harrenhal. My name's Simon. And I'm Kelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 92 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 18 of A Clash of Kings, that's Sansa 2. And we're going to chat about the chapter, we're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you, and hopefully we're going to provide you with some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the TV show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes, they'll help you particularly if you're not reading along. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing alright. How about you, my friend? Not too bad, not too bad. I I urgently IM'd you earlier in the week to say, in the banter section, write the words quarter round. Okay. Right, I, I did. I Ever did as instructed. Since, <laughs> you did, I see it there. All day today I was like, what was that thing <laughs> I told McKelly to put? I could not remember. It's only because I can see it there. I'm like, oh, I know what story I was going to tell. I was well, like, no, this is so painfully like me. Oh, that's fantastic. But you know yourself well enough to know to have it written down when... Uh, yeah, when... but by someone else, apparently, because I wouldn't remember <laughs> to do it. So the, the story about the quarter round is, um, we, um, for listeners who don't know what quarter round is, I am not a building contractor myself, so for me it's a little bit of an alien concept, but where a hardwood floor meets the skirting board, yeah. there's usually just a little um, a thing that, a piece of wood that has a cross-section, which is a quarter circle, and... Uh, that runs along and sort of like fills the gap between the skirting board and the hardwood floor. And it's called quarter round. Yes. Right. Okay. I tell you this because we have a bathroom scale, which I hate. It's an evil, <laughs> evil machine. It lies. It lies. Uh, but because to, to make it more sort of generally accessible to the house, instead of being in a bathroom where they normally are, it's out in the hallway where, where anyone can jump on it as they walk past kind of thing. It's you know, tucked away but in the hallway, but it's right up against the wall. And the other day I got on it and I was like, woohoo, I've lost 10 pounds without doing anything. (laughs) That seems a little fishy. (laughs) The front of it was just wedged on the quarter round and it was just lifting it up just enough. (laughs) When I pulled it away from the wall, I was like, uh, two pounds up. (laughs) You should not have investigated. You should just live. No, I should Celebrating with another cookie. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, I've got room to spare. (laughs) Oh, man, that's funny. Did I ever tell you that Stacy got me a a scale for Christmas a couple years ago? (laughs) When I opened it, she told me she felt like the Peloton guy. (laughs) Like that Christmas commercial where the husband gets a wife, the Peloton, and she's like, the wife is so into uh exercising and it you know got some bad publicity because it was like this guy's insinuating that his wife needs to exercise so yes. yeah she uh she said she felt like the peloton guy when uh when i opened it 
Uh, it didn't occur to her until that moment. <laughs> right, like, oh, hmm, I might be sending a message here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I I noticed something on my drive home today that uh, bad music puts me so on edge and puts me... It, it, it takes me down a path toward a bad mood just listening to music that I don't like. You should not listen to the radio, I feel. I should uh, make sure Molly has her um, headphones when we drive places. Because we were driving back from swim practice today, and she was making a playlist of, to me, what sounded like just screeching and uh, wailing. But apparently it was music that she thought was really beautiful. And I, I, was, I could feel myself sinking into an annoyed state heading toward a bad mood. And I was like, you got to stop. You got to stop. You're going to put me in a bad mood. I don't want to be in a bad mood. And I, there was no other reason other than the terrible music that I was being subjected to. But we do sound like, you know, old people, but <laughs> modern music is quite poor. It's quite disappointing. In my opinion as well. In my opinion yes. as well. But uh, speaking of our drive, uh, it reminded me of something uh, of about you. that. Uh, so we Molly and I play this game. My drive. Like get up and go. Yes, that's what it is. We play this game where she identifies cars by their little symbols. You know, like okay. Toyota has the little loop-de-loops yep, yep. and Audi has the three interconnecting circles. And for a little, uh, for a while, she struggled over the, um, did I say three? I meant four. I, I thought there were four too. Yes, I was off Googling are four. it just while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She was... Um, she was confused by a symbol that has like three little badges inside of it. And uh, she knows it now, but the symbol is Buick. And of course, <laughs> it reminded me of you. <laughs> so, yeah, I know you think that's funny. <laughs> that makes one of us. <laughs> so the story is my brother and I had a card game. Uh, the game is called Top Trumps. And basically, each card was a different car. And the brand Buick is American and is not anywhere else. And so the first time I ever saw that word was on that card. So I'd never heard it. I didn't know how to pronounce it. And it looked a lot like the word quick. So my brother and I called it Bwick. <laughs> Which isn't that funny, because <laughs> it's perfectly logical that we would call it Bwick. I certainly could see why you called it Bwick, but it is the thought of you guys running around talking about uh, Bwick Regals. I'm going to get me a Bwick. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. All right, let's get down to business. Let's How did we it. leave Sansa Stark? The last time we saw Sansa was... was Quite a while ago, actually. She's had a long break. It's funny, after Tyrion, we got two Tyrions in three chapters. We're back to Sansa, who's had like a 15-chapter break. Yeah, yes. Um, last we saw her, she was at Joffrey's name day tournament. She, with a little bit of help from the Hound, saved Sir Dantos Hollard, who Joffrey was ready to murder for his drunken insults. She was also spoken to kindly by Tyrion, but... Cersei once spoke kindly to her, and so she's vowed to herself never to trust a Lannister again. Sound advice yep. there, yep. Sansa. All right, McKelly, why don't we give them the summary? Sansa's found a note hidden beneath her pillow. It tells her to come to the Godswood tonight if she wants to go home. 
She's wary of a trap, but can't resist the temptation. She reads the short note over and over until a maid enters and she's forced to hide it, and then she realizes how dumb she's being and burns the note at the first opportunity. To get to the godswood, though, she has to leave Magor's holdfast across a drawbridge currently guarded by Sir Preston Greenfield. She has access to all of the Red Keep, but an evening outing like this would certainly prompt some questions. Not sure what to do, she's disturbed by some shouting. She looks out and Sir Preston is gone. She quickly dresses and rushes out, her heart's in her mouth as she crosses the undefended bridge, and sees the Kingsguard helping Joffrey into his armour, the source of the ruckus. She gets to the godswood undetected. Within, she remembers the power of the old gods. She's always preferred her mother's faith of the seven, but she feels the pull of the godswood now. She waits to see which noble knight has decided to rescue her. Sir Dauntus appears, to her severe disappointment. <laughs> he smells of wine, but he assures her it was just one cup for the courage to make this rendezvous. He's watched almost as closely as she is. He's chivalrous in telling her that he owes her his life and would do anything he can to rescue her. He says that Florian was a fool and one of the greatest knights of yore, and he yearns to be her Florian. She wants to know the plan. He's not sure how to get her out of the castle, but from there a ship could take her home. He would need coin to secure her passage and to do it quietly and carefully. He berates himself for doing nothing to save her father, but her kindness has reminded him of what a knight should be. He cannot pass another note, so he asks her to come to the godswood as often as she can. She agrees and realises that Sedontus may not be all that she hoped for, but he is possibly the answer to her prayers. He tells her they must act cold, even cruel toward each other, to prevent suspicion. She understands, and kisses him on the cheek, and calls him my Florian. She's giddy with hope on the walk back, and literally bumps into a very drunk Sandor Clegane. He asks what she's up to, and she tells him she's been praying for Joffrey. I almost got through that with a straight face. (laughs) The hound knows a lie when he hears it and mocks her for singing their song. He's menacing, but then he sobers up a little and walks her home. They're stopped on the bridge by Sir Boris Blunt, who informs them that the king was breaking up a hunger riot. The hound mockingly says, such a brave boy. Sir Boris turns to Sansa, wanting to know where she's been. She tells him, praying in the God's wood, and the lie sounds better with practice. They pass on, and she asks Clegane why he lets people call him Dog, but denies being a knight. He points out that dogs will die for you and never lie. He tells her how his grandfather, Kennelmaster at Casterly Rock, and his hounds saved Titus Lannister from a lion and was rewarded with a keep and title. Three dogs died and are memorialised in the family sigil. He asks her to sing him a song, and although he may have had luder intent, Sansa takes him literally and promises to sing for him one day. He accuses her again of being a liar, that dogs can smell lies, and that everyone in King's Landing lies, and she's not as good as any of them. Yeah. Yeah. Come down a little bit. Yeah, let, a calm after the storm, somewhat, yes. of the last few chapters. Right. But, um, but it's... It's kind of a turning point for Sansa in many ways because she's just been on a... She's basically been on a doubt. She's almost been on a downward spiral since the moment we met her. Because the moment we met her, she was sort of getting betrothed to the, you know, heir apparent to the realm. Right. 
And from that point onwards, her life has just got worse and worse and worse with good. every turn. Yeah, good observation. I hadn't thought about that. It really has. That When they were sitting there uh, sewing and stitching and all that stuff in Winterfell, that was the high moment of, of the yeah. time we've known her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's had a few things that she's been glad of. She was glad of the opportunity to come to King's Landing, but the journey didn't go so well. Right. And she's lost lady. She's been here. Yeah, she, her losses have continued to mount up. But yeah, a, a possible turning point. She has at least one ally. Yes, right. And we discussed that it, at the time that you know doing what she did for Serdantis does give her an ally, whether he's useful or not. And... Yes, that's what that that was the question mark I was going to pose. Is he actually useful? Right. So. We'll sort of take take it back. So Sansa is still taking beatings. Uh, they mentioned in the uh, mentions in the chapter that she's got an angry bruise on her stomach. Um, yeah, yeah, that was from first. That was from Sir Marin Trant, I believe. Right? She said she found out that uh, Jaina Slint was sent to the Wall by Tyrion, and she said, "I hope the others get him." And right. it angered Joffrey, and he had Marin pop her one in the stomach. So, and it also mentioned that he was wearing a mailed he he had mailed fists yeah. when he hit her. So that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, but I, you know, that being said, when she sees this letter and she's having conflicted thoughts about it and unsure what to do, one of her thoughts is, should she take the letter to the queen to prove that she's being good? You know, after all the terrible things the Lannisters have done, she still wants. Considering anyway that adoration of look, I'm being good. I'm I'm a good girl. Tell me I'm a good girl. Let me give Sansa some credit there. I think she only really considers that because she's worried that the whole thing is a trap. Yes, I don't that's, think that's... she's actually looking for you know to betray her possible allies. Yeah. She just thinks this is probably a trap, and I'd be better off reporting it because that will make me look better. Right. I see that. I see that angle. Yeah, she's basically... uh, but if I were do it, if I were her doing that, I would do it the next day. Let the person clear out of the godswood before you. Right, <laughs> in case it isn't a trap. <laughs> yeah. and right. She just uh, got that person caught. But yeah. she's basically considering three options. First, she thinks could it be a cruel joke set up by Joffrey, and she she remembers back to when she, he said, "I want to show you something," and takes her for a walk, and it turns out to be a walk to see her dad's head on a spike. So I could certainly see Joffrey playing this, that kind of cruel joke on her to see her get her hopes up and then dash them. Yeah. And then, then the, uh, the next one is it's a trap. It's a trap to prove that she's not loyal. And she imagines getting there and Ilian Payne is sitting underneath the heart tree with the sword, her father's sword ice in his hands. And, uh, but then the third option is that a true knight has been sent to rescue her finally and the 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 folks whose whose names come to her mind are the red wine twins which i don't think i i, I guess they are slobber. yeah <laughs> i guess they are knights i just i don't think of them as being um you know uh, the bravest I, and truest of knights no nor i but i guess i guess they are captives like her yes so they do have a common interest in getting out of there. Right, yeah. Then the other is Sir Balin Swan, who we just saw last Tyrion chapter riding around with Cersei. So probably yeah. not him, but, you know, maybe keep your enemies close. Yep, yep. So, 
And then her third thought is possibly Beric Dondarrion. And I thought, that, I thought, how funny would it be if Beric Dondarrion is getting all this acclaim for being everywhere in the Riverlands and dying and not dying and harassing the Lannisters. And it turns out he's been in a King's Landing wine sink this whole time. <laughs> yes. Be... If it had been Beric Dondarrion, I would have gone back and read some previous chapters about what the heck was going on in this book. So she... She doesn't trust her maids, and I think that's smart because uh, they're changed every two weeks to avoid her making any friendships with them. And so you've got to imagine that the queen is telling each new crop of maids that that, that she wants to know what Sansa's saying, doing, thinking. Yeah. So. Can't, I mean, I guess Cersei doesn't know. Maybe she is trying to create her own plans, but, you know, this, this girl is going to go back after lighting a fire in... Uh, her little fireplace there and she's going to say she had a fire lit yeah <laughs> that's all i got today but you're right actually maybe maybe the smarter move would be to let her have a long-term maid with whom she could form a friendship that is genuinely a spy you know right that can, you know, yeah get because, thoughts out because of her it's, and stuff it, yes exactly things she will confide would be the things that you'd be most interested to know but yeah. i mean seriously Sansa Stark doesn't like you very much. Uh, I think that's pretty much well established at this point. <laughs> you know, right? You killed her dog. You killed her father. You know. Oddly, she no longer trusts you. Yeah. <laughs> but she's yeah. She we 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 kind of brushed over this a little bit, but she she wants to go, but she doesn't know how to go, and so yeah. she actually goes to bed, not planning to go. So she really sort of agonizes over the you know. And she feels like she needs someone to help her and point her in the right direction here. Right. And it is a difficult, it's a difficult conundrum she's in. But, sure. She's but just a young going girl to too, you know. She yeah. hasn't had a lot of life experience to um, make these kind of possibly life-altering decisions here. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, because she's unsure of herself and wishes someone would be there to tell her what to do, she starts missing Septimordain and Jane Poole. And we know Septimordain's head was mounted near Ned's when Joffrey took her, took Sansa up to see Ned's head. First, he, I can't remember if it was first or second, but she saw Septimordain's head at the same time she saw Ned's head. And we had talked at the time about how senseless that is to kill a Septa when she could have easily just been sent to, you know, a Sept somewhere. But you know, it didn't have to kill her. She could have continued her uh, her life's work and just not worked for the Starks anymore. But uh, but then she also wondered. She also thinks about Jane Poole, which she refers to as her truest friend, and she says she doesn't know what's happened to Jane. Uh, she was gone when Sansa got back to her room, and just to remind her, we last heard of Jane Poole is. When Sansa was finally called down to Cersei and some of the small council members, she told Cersei that Jane was in her room with her, and Sir Boris Blunt said, we didn't know what else to do with her, so he threw her in with uh, Sansa, and uh, Littlefinger said that he'd take care of her, and uh, so Cersei had Blunt take Jane Poole to Littlefinger's chambers, and Cersei told Boris Blunt to tell Jane that Littlefinger was taking her to see her father. But she didn't say Littlefinger takes Jane Poole to her father. Right, right. So there, right. there's a distinction there. Yeah. Um, and then Cersei told Littlefinger not to keep her in the city. And that's right. really all we know. We do know that yeah. 
Littlefinger owns brothels. So yes. it's possible she yes. could have ended up in a brothel. When, when any young girl finds herself in Littlefinger's clutches, I fear for the fact that that is his main profession and right. source. Yes. Can't be good news. <laughs> but then she also says, thinks that she misses her little sister sometimes, Arya. <laughs> she says, again, she thinks that Arya must be back in Winterfell now, dancing and sewing and playing with Bran and baby Rickon. And I was like, dancing and sewing? Yeah. Has it been that long since she saw Arya <laughs> that she thinks she envisions her dancing and sewing? <laughs> we'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. You have an interesting idea here in the notes about how to get her on your side. You're never going to get her on your side, but you can placate her. Yeah. One way through a friendship with Marcella. Because yeah. they do seem to, she and Marcella seem to have more common uh, interests than her and Arya say. Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about that in the, the last sense of chapter way back, uh, beginning of this book, and it just seems like a missed opportunity to. Yeah, I wonder if Cersei's afraid. I wonder if Cersei's afraid that Sansa might snap and kill Marcella. Oh, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, just a thought, right? Um, so she's. Like I said, she she gives up and goes to bed, but then the, there's a ruckus outside and the bridge gets cleared and she quickly dresses without thinking about it and heads out there. Um, she takes a knife with her, which, uh, it makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, unlikely you're going to win the bat- win a fight. Right. <laughs> it might make you feel a little bit better that you've got it just in case. You know? She brings a knife to a sword fight. Yes, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered if it... So she brings the knife because not necessarily to fend off attackers, but she says, if this is a trap, I would rather die than let them hurt me. And I wondered if it was one of those things that she says, but she doesn't really mean, or if it's a revelation into her current mental state where she's so lonely and miserable that she would rather die than face more punishment. Probably when when the crunch came, she wouldn't actually do it, but I'm sure it's a sign of how the low ebb she's at yeah yeah right but then so she leaves and on her way to the godswood she's she's kind of up against the wall catching her breath and something rubs up against her leg and it it turns out to be a a black one-eared cat and of course we've met this cat before this is the same cat that aria was trying to catch before she went down into the dungeons and then overheard illyrium apatis and lord varus and this cat also is a little Rainy's reportedly, reportedly, yes, re- yes, reportedly, little Rainy's Targaryen, uh, Rhaegar's daughter's cat named Balerion. That was a little kitten when Rainy owned the cat, but uh, the the black dread has diminished with three hundred years. Yes, Dom <laughs> Dom no, no, looks more like a one eared cat. <laughs> yeah. So um, she gets the god the godswood, and you know she's disappointed that it's Sedantus. She was hoping for someone more more knightly. 
just a thing here. Are we sure that Sedontis is being honest? Yeah. Right. Well, then she wanders out at first, too. And she says oh, that lady sniffs out lies. But and then she says, again, when I say say, I mean, think here. She thinks, well, but lady's dead. Father killed her on account of Aria. And I thought she still can't see that episode for the truth of it. Despite all the awful things Joffrey and Cersei have done, she still blames Lady's death on Arya, which is yeah. so clearly not uh, Arya's fault. But but maybe maybe there's a sort of like a a layering of her thoughts there. You know, maybe she keeps the thought that it was all Joffrey's fault locked down, and on the surface, Arya was partly to blame. I mean, she could have stayed out of it. She, yeah, right. Had she not got into it with Joffrey, then Nymeria wouldn't have attacked Joffrey, etc., etc. Yeah, I, I, if you go far enough down the path, you could find a way to make it Arya's fault. But right, right. You're, but you're certainly, Lady's demise. <laughs> right, Lady's demise is certainly at Joffrey's feet. But, right. But again, if I were her, I might try not to think about that because I'm trying to stay in a mindset that allows me to interact with Joffrey without... Oh, I see what him. you're saying, right. Yeah, that makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Now, go on. And, you were saying about uh, whether he's telling the truth here. Yeah, he mentions Florian. I mean, yep. I, I mean, I mean, Florian and Jonquil is a, is a great legend of, uh, of Westeros, but she loves that story. That's absolutely yep. Sansa's favorite story. She 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 likes no other story in any way close to that. And he mentions it in passing. Uh-huh. He comes up with this. It feels like someone's feeding him a line. Like, yes, it's this very is the convenient. way to Sansa's heart. Yeah. If if there's anything that he could have said to sway her, it was what he said. Right. Of, and of all the kids in this story. She is by far the most susceptible to getting caught up in a fairy tale story, and right. this is her favorite of all the fairy tale stories. So, right. it's very conveniently timed. So, so then my mind went down that path, and then and then I started to think about the note, and I was like, "How would Sedontis, who is basically as closely watched as Sansa, get this note under Sansa's pillow without anybody thinking about it?" Yeah. Yeah. That he, feels like he's getting significant help from someone with a bit of clout. It isn't one of her maids. I mean, it may literally have been one of her maids, but it wasn't at Sedon... Well, I guess it could have been at Sedontis's request, but I'd be amazed he would be able to connect the dots to bring that to happen. Yeah, we don't know a whole lot about Sedontis at the moment, but what we've seen is just a drunken oaf. The the Right. The fact that a drunken oaf could get a secret message to her without anyone noticing, that's a tough uh, sell there. I mean, stumbling around Mago's whole fast (laughs) entering rooms you're not supposed to be in, maybe he's sort of like (laughs) laid his stall out so that looks reasonable. Yes, that could be it. He's, uh, you know, he's pretending to be the drunken oaf when really he's the mastermind behind. Yeah. So the, the one person that I, I I thought of if I started to think about this as being someone else is of course is Varys, because Varys sure. would be, well, okay, I've no no idea. I'm not putting a motive into Mar- into Varys's hands here, but the opportunity and the resources to make this kind of thing happen that sounds like Varys, right? Whether he has any interest in Sansa, I don't know. Yeah, 
And that that makes sense. Uh, certainly, I mean, we know he got Gendry out of town, um, that, right? You know, which was which was kind of protection of innocence. Yeah, yeah. Gendry was innocent, and he tried to protect him. He may think the same of Sansa. He, he might have ulterior motives. We don't know what they are yet for getting Gendry out of town. We we don't know. He might have ulterior motives for getting Sansa out of town, yeah. or he could just be trying to protect. An innocent, like you said. Yeah. Well, without... But if nothing else, I would think Varys would know about this rendezvous. Even yes. if he didn't orchestrate it, I think he would know about it because no one's as good at him at tracking these people. Yeah, and we know that he knew about the Red, uh, Red Wine Twins' escape plan on a, a similar right. plan. They were going to try and take a ship and get out of King's Landing. He knew about that, so it, it seems awfully hard to imagine that they're going to be able to carry this off without a hit without him finding out uh if they take it all the way through so either he's helping or he's going to find out one way or the other but i noticed that she says who's helping you she straight up asks him who's helping you and he says no one i swear on my honor as a knight but as she points out he's no longer a knight so you know maybe that was an attempt to falsely assure her that he's being legit and uh you know i swear on my honor as a knight you're not a knight (laughs) okay that's technicalities here (laughs) let's be clear we have no evidence for this i mean sedontus is seems like an honest guy just it's surprising that he's managed to pull off this much of a plan even if his next step is completely unknown to him but that also fuels the sort of like if you don't know what the next step is does somebody else know what the next step is? And they're going to tell you. Because <laughs> it is pretty clear from their conversation, he has no plan. His plan right. is to get her out of the castle and buy passage on a ship. Well, anyone could have come up with that plan. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's not a plan. That's an my itinerary. Plan is, my plan is to put a mint on your pillow and turn down the corner of your bed in Winterfell. <laughs> the bit between now and then, I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Someone else do what I can. that out. <laughs> You know, clearly he he must not know about the Red Keep's dungeons, and specifically that tunnel that Arya took to get to get outside of the walls. Um, and there's probably a bunch of other passages that we haven't found out about yet, because we know there's a ton of secret passages and stuff in the Red Keep. So, and, and one yeah. thing that um, I'll mention in uh, background is that uh, Sardantis squired in King's Landing. So I would assume possibly in the Red Keep. So you'd think he should know his way around the castle fairly well. And Sansa, she mentioned she has run of the castle. So, you know, it doesn't seem like an impossible mission to get her out. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting thing, actually, because I guess you can guard the main entrances, but but everybody knows there are tunnels. I mean, Mago the Misunderstood did not murder the builders because they'd done a poor job. Right. He didn't want anyone to know where all the tunnels and escape routes were. Therefore, there are tunnels and escape routes. Therefore, you shouldn't let your prisoner have run of the castle. Right. They, they might just stumble upon one. Maybe that has, uh, you know, the Lannisters aren't Targaryens. They're new to this castle. Maybe Cersei's uh, not aware of just how many tunnels and escape routes there might be in the Red Keep. Yeah. But, you know, so ultimately, this this kind of conversation goes through, uh, what? Oh, 
not Sir Dantas. This guy's a drunken fool. To, hey, Florian was a fool too. And then ultimately ends with Sansa totally buying in. When she leaves the conversation, she thinks, he's going to take me home. He'll keep me safe, my Florian. And so there's a, a major transition that goes that that happens here. She she starts out hoping for a true knight, disappointed that it's Serdantis, and then through the conversation she emerges as I found my Florian. I'm Jonquil. This this is going to work. He's going to take me home. But Yeah, I, I I will say about that that I think his speech where he says, you know, I I haven't been a true knight for a long time, but your bravery in saving me guilted me and reminded me of what I should be doing. And you saved my life, so I owe you it, and I'll do everything I can to get you out. To me, that was very compelling. And, yes. And especially if I'm a 12-year-old girl, I'm like, all right, I'm latching onto that. Yeah, I agree. It was a very moving speech. Yeah. But as moving as it was, can she put her complete faith in someone as drunk and previously unreliable as Sardantis? What if he gets drunk and spill the beans? Or... Yeah. Maybe his intentions are good, but he falls off the wagon again and puts together some sloppy plan that's easily rooted out. Well, we we have just established that it really would only take a sloppy plan to get her out of here. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, find stairs, go down them, <laughs> right. come out in daylight, get on first ship. You'll be fine. She might be able to do it herself. Arya found those exactly. dungeons all on her own. Exactly. Just keep going down. <laughs> Go to darkness. Run to darkness, child. (laughs) We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah, but, I mean, fingers crossed. I mean, I... You know, there's definitely reasons to believe in him. He clearly has no love for the Lannisters. Right. Um, he does genuinely owe her his life. And so yep. uh, you hope that he's going to be true to her. And if he is getting help from some smarter, more organized person, then maybe that's for the good. Yeah, more Maybe so it's not, not, a, not a trap necessarily, but good news that he's getting help. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're a little bit cynical about this whole thing but um yes i agree 100 percent with what you said so then she bumps into sandal clegane on her way back uh he does not buy the lie that she's praying for joffrey's safety what um, <laughs> he, he I, says I think, you think i'm so drunk i'd believe that yeah <laughs> him of all people is uniquely aware of the impossibility that she is praying for joff's safety safety there's absolutely yeah. no way he would buy that the funny thing is, though, I mean, you understand why she always says things like that to anyone who asks her what she's doing. She always says something very loyal. and Right. And he accuses her of singing their song. But I'm like, you know, she's just got to say it. She's not uh-huh. singing their song. She's covering her own behind yep. because she doesn't want to get killed. Yeah, I think and multiple times in this chapter, he fails to put himself in her shoes yeah. very well. Uh, like when they uh, run into Sir Boris Blunt on the bridge, and he says that he's that Sir Boris is nothing to fear. That you paint stripes on a toad, it doesn't become a tiger. That's easy for him to say, 
but he's seen Sir Boris beat her. A toad to the hound equals a tormentor to Sansa. So he is something yeah, yeah. to fear to little right. young Sansa. It's like if you don't paint stripes, if you paint stripes on a hyena, it doesn't become a tiger. The hyena will still eat me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it just won't be a tiger while it's doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is shamblingly drunk. Right. In his defense here, he is. Yeah, yes. I mean, so Dantus had had a glass of wine, he said, but uh, the hound is absolutely paralytic. So. Yes. And he reminds her that he is uh, no lord, just like he reminds everyone he is no knight. And I was thinking, if Tyrion does turn his older brother Gregor over to the Martells, then if he hadn't taken the Kingsguard vow, he would have been a lord. He would have been yep. the lord of Clegane's Keep. That's true. But I'm just trying to remember, Littlefinger said that he wouldn't have been pleased with that, though, right? Because his brother was his to yes. hate. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was, he, he said that to Ned when Ned sent uh, um, yeah. Beric Dondarrion and company to de-summit yeah. the mountain. As as always, the Hound is complex with his interactions with Sansa. He's very rough and tender simultaneously. He grabs her arm like a vice, but he gently pushes her down the steps to back to the uh, hold fast. Yeah. So he's... Uh, maybe that's just the drink, but that does seem kind of like indicative of the way he treats her. It does, yes. Every interaction that they've ever had, it's a mixture of him being somewhat sweet to, and gentle with her and somewhat rough with her or curt or threatening her life so you know there's a he runs the gambit he does yes but eventually they they get back to the bridge to into uh magor's holdfast and like i mentioned a few minutes ago it's now sort of boris blunt who's manning the bridge and she thinks that he's the worst of the king's guard and we know that's because of the beatings that we've personally witnessed in the book he's done most of them and he's done them without emotion or hesitation. And if you remember after her first beating in her bedroom, he came back later to get her for court and was like nothing. Acted like had nothing would happen. Yeah, yeah. And she yeah, realized, yeah. oh, he doesn't hate me. He just doesn't care. King says hit me and he hits me. So I think uh, Clegane's a sort of useful character for Sansa. Sort of like he, he, he definitely looks out for her to a certain extent, but every moment she spends with him is a trial and also a reminder that the people who are protecting her are also her persecutors, you know? Yes. That there's yes. nobody here who's genuinely a protector of her. And those who act that way have other motivations. Sure. I think Sander Clegane has aspirations, has romantic aspirations towards Sansa, to be honest. Yeah, he he sends incredibly mixed signals with that. He does. It's hard to know. <laughs> yeah, uh, but so there's his motivation. Littlefinger. He occasionally acts like he's a protector, but I wouldn't trust him. No, with anyone. No, Nobody should all. trust Littlefinger yeah. for anything. But I noticed kind of a noteworthy connection here between the Hound and Sir Dantas, because both are trying to aid, help Sansa. Sander's doing what little he can to protect and guide Sansa through Joff's treatment of her. But he's got a role as a Kingsguard and Joff's protector. And he's got a pretty comfy gig that he probably doesn't want to mess up by opposing Joff on her behalf. But yet at the same time, you 
like we've been saying, you can clearly see a soft, compassionate side that he has for Sansa, which also at times seems to really irk him that he feels yeah. this way about her. And, you know, Serdantis has absolutely no allegiances to Joffrey and has no job worth considering. Uh, and uh, so, you know, he's a little more free to help her, but he doesn't have the means that that uh, the Hound would have if he chose to use them. So at this point, Saboris explains how Sansa got across the bridge. I mean, obviously he didn't tell her that because he didn't know she got across the bridge until this moment. But it was because <laughs> the uh, small folk got wind of uh, Tyrek Lannister's wedding feast and they wanted the f- what they wanted some food from said feast right. and they rioted for it. Yeah, you remember Tyrek, he was also, remember, uh, King Robert had two squires. One was Lancel Lannister, the other was Tyrek Lannister. And we learned back in the first Sansa chapter of this book that Tyrek is this wedding that they're feasting, getting ready to feast for, is for his wedding to baby Ermisand Hayford, which uh, I did a background in that last Sansa chapter that she is the last of the Hayford line. And she is a baby baby, like a child, like an infant type baby. And Tyrek is like 13-ish, so... This is like a 10-year feast. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's uh, he's marrying an infant. and But to be feasting at a time like this, it's just such blatant disregard for the plight of the, the people. And it, you can't be shocked that they ended up having some sort of issue where the small folk were rioting or causing a ruckus. But that just gave Joffrey the opportunity to go and hack down some... Uh unarmed people yep that's uh so that's what when she was on when sansa was on her way to the godswood she saw uh, joffrey getting helped into his armor by some of his kingsguard members and sir boris says that's what he was off doing doing he was leading a sortie to send the small folk scurrying and that's when the hound says brave boy and yeah so brave to ride into a pack of unarmed starving (laughs) small folk while you're armed the, to the teeth and surrounded by your Kingsguard members. Yeah, further cementing the reputation of the royal family within the city. Yes, right. I mean, we already have a PR nightmare going on here. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, the king himself is riding down unarmed small folk in the streets. So that's wonderful. So we got the Clegane backstory of how um, the Hound's grandfather saved Titus who's Tywin's father and therefore Cersei, Jaime and Tyrion's grandfather right? Uh, from, from a lion I mean, of all things <laughs> Well, I, I guess you have them if you're a Lannister so you're always running the risk of being eaten by one <laughs> yeah they're not good pets yes right It uh, it when I read that part, I kind of thought of the contrast with Sansa's idea that good prevails over evil and true knights save maids in need. Because, you know, in this in this example, it just shows that, like, the real world outside of fairy tales, even lions attack Lannisters with no respect for the lion sigil on the Lannisters. But, you know, shield. it depends and, on your perspective, really. Because if you, from the Clegane's point of view, this was a fairy tale. True, it did elevate them quite I was a kennel master, and then my dogs saved the lord of the manor from the, the clutches of a lion, and here I am in my little holdfast. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> it's all about perspective. Yeah. 
So the chapter uh, starts to wrap up with talk of Sansa singing songs that others want her to sing and um, all those others being better liars than her. And then he says something that can be taken a bunch of different ways. He says, one day I'll have a song from you, whether you will it or no. Now, she takes that statement literally and says, I will sing a song for you. I'll be happy to do it. But of course, she is very young and naive, and she might be too young and naive to understand a a more ominous meaning that he might have with that statement there. Yeah. Uh, The one that everybody else heard. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. But he does he does give her a piece of advice, he doesn't actually give her a piece of advice. He says something which she could take as a piece of advice, which is that she is the worst liar in King's Landing. Right. <laughs> and that might be good for her to remember. Because yes. and the hound and other dogs will smell the lie. Yeah, and I wondered if maybe he was trying to give her a message there, like if you want to survive here, you've gotta be better guarded with your thoughts and intents. Yeah. You you wear your thoughts and intents on your sleeve. Maybe I was wondering if he's even guessed what she's up to, that she's up to some sort of escape plot. And he's saying, you're going to need to be a lot better liar if you have any hopes of success with whatever you're up to. Honestly, if I'm captive anywhere, my entire life is an escape plot. Right. It might be pretty slow moving and not, you know, not getting anywhere and unlikely to succeed. But that's all <laughs> I'm thinking about, you know. Right. <laughs> All right, so background. So um, just a lay- the layout of the Red Keep. Um, so it comprises the throne room, the godswood, Magos Holdfast, which is like a castle within the castle. The Holdfast itself is surrounded by a dry moat, hence the bridge to get in and out of it. Um, there's stables, kitchens, a well, granary, kennels, the Tower of the Hand, the Royal Sept, and a Grand Hall, which is separate from the throne room, and it's more suitable for larger events. Uh, the barracks of the gold cloaks is also within the red keep, and there's also an armory. Uh, access to Magos Holdfast is via this bridge. It's a drawbridge, so it can be lifted up. Uh, it's on the east face of the Holdfast, but the Godswood is up against is is right next to the Holdfast, but on the west side. So she had to go all the way around. And right. also, the red keep is on Egan's Hill, which is the tallest hill in King's Landing. But Magos Holdfast is actually on the in the lowest point within the red keep. So um, she had to, once she got across the drawbridge, she had to climb up the hill, up the serpentine steps, which is where she bumped into Sandor Clegane on the way back, right. um, to get up to the level of the Godswood and then come all the way around Magos Holdfast to get to the Godswood. So um, that's just the back, that's just the layout of the of the Red Keep. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. Thank you for uh, pulling all that together. So, um... The scene at Joff's name day, where Sir Dantes got himself into trouble and Sansa had to bail him out, was not the uh, first time that Sir Dantes was saved by someone asking for his mercy. Back in 277 AC, an event known as the Defiance of Duskendale, where King Aerys II, otherwise known as the Mad King, was taken hostage by members of House Darklin. He was eventually freed by Barristan Selmy, and King Aerys, as you might have guest had all members of House Darkland put to death. He did the same with one of their closely sworn houses, House Hollard. All members of House Hollard were put to death except for a young Dauntus Hollard. Selmy specially requested that Dauntus be spared, and King Ares honored his request. 
However, the family's castle, once located northeast of Duskendale near uh, Blackwater Bay, was destroyed. Now, the hollered sigil is red and pink alternating horizontal stripes, and then sitting above those stripes are three gold crowns on a blue, sometimes described as black, background. After the executions, young Dauntus was brought to King's Landing to Squire. That's an interesting segue, actually, into the um, comparison with the television show. Uh, in the television show, Sansa is not past a note. She goes to the godswood during the day, and she's wandering around, and she hears someone behind her, and it is Sir Dauntus. And so, obviously, this isn't a plan. This wasn't a rendezvous arranged. Right. They just bumped... Well, Sodontus was clearly looking for her, but she was just there off off her own back. Um, He offers her a gift. He offers her a gift of a necklace, which is a family heirloom. And he mentions the fact that he's the last of his line, that there will be no more Hollands. And he wanted to give it as a gift to her, as thanks for saving his life. Uh, And, you know, he had a similar kind of speech, but, but not about rescuing her just about he wanted her to have this uh this necklace okay because and because it had been his mother's and uh it, he was not going to have any children so his family line was going to die out and he thought it should go to her yeah um and so and this, there is no scene at all with uh Sandra Clegane so this is quite a big deviation in fact yeah yeah that's pretty neat that they worked that in there they did work much of the chapter in there, but they worked that one little detail in there. Right, which which is, uh, uh, until you told me that, I didn't, I hadn't pieced that together. I was just, uh, as you uh, were saying it, I was like, oh, that fits. Okay. Uh, pedantry, I didn't actually find anything to be too pedantic about here, you know? Yeah, me either. No, yeah. no. I, I guess when not. nothing happens, it's hard <laughs> <Right>. to find. <laughs> harder to find flaws. <laughs> News and notes. News and notes. So, uh, George Martin's alma mater, Northwestern University, is presenting him with an honorary doctorate at the commencement on June 14th. So, Um, this actually was announced a few weeks ago, but um, I figured I'd mention it for those who don't read his blog. Yeah, that's that's very nice. That's very nice. Did you ever see the movie Lorenzo's Oil? No. No. It's about a kid who gets sick and his father sort of goes on a sort of like, he won't accept, the doctors can't do anything for him. He he does medical research and actually comes up with a cure for his child. Oh. And this okay. guy, well, spoiler alert, you don't need to watch that movie. <laughs> that guy got an honorary doctorate for what he did. And ever since that seeing that movie, that has been my yardstick for an honorary doctorate. Oh, a lot of folks fall short of that. I have to say, oh, to yeah. get honorary doctors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because I was like, that guy deserves a doctorate. He yes. literally invented a cure for a disease that nobody else could cure. That's pretty amazing. It's a true story? It's, it's true story. It's an absolutely wow. stunning story. What's it called? The, Lorenzo's Oil. Lorenzo's Oil. Okay. Wow, fascinating. So, I'm not begrudging George Martin, to be clear. I mean, like, I think George Martin, to, he should be a doctor of letters for his contributions to the world literature. Perfectly right. reasonable. But many others have not reached that level, just to be clear. 
Yeah, I'm not even sure that George Martin's efforts reached that level. <laughs> that might be the highest level I've ever heard of for a yeah. honorary doctor. To be doctor. fair, there are plenty of doctors who weren't as good as other doctors. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. It's a broad stroke. Yeah. Like, the, like the old saying, what do they call the person that finished last in medical school? Doctor. Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing they call the one who finished first. <laughs> you want to read you the review? Oh, I, I always want to read the reviews. All right, this is from poditup 0 at podchaser.com. I came across this podcast because a friend of mine told me about it. It's not the first A Game of Thrones podcast that I've listened to. I used to listen to several back when the TV show was on, but this is the best that I've found. The hosts have great chemistry. One is British, the other American. They are fun and entertaining, and they have the best format of any Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire podcast that I've come across. If you're looking for a good Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire fix, do yourself a favor and start with these guys. You'll be happy that you did. I wish they'd been around years ago. Looking forward to tuning in for a long time. I'm doing a happy dance. Thank you very much, Pot It Up Zero Zero. I appreciate yes. it. That's wow, I kind. got a big smile on my face. We both do, in fact. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. All right, let's conclude. Uh, Sansa was very brave to go to the Godswood. Uh, oh, yes. Right. I will say, I think she probably would have been permitted to go, but she did seize the opportunity when it came in a very almost Arya level of gumption and opportunism, I thought. Right. Yeah. It, it's gone against, like up to this point, she hasn't taken a lot of action. And this is, uh, so yeah, this was something she chose to do on her own and she was... She was very conflicted about it, but she did the brave, scary thing. I will say, Arya wouldn't have gone to bed unable to make a decision about what to do. Arya oh. would have just gone and done it. But Absolutely. Sansa yeah. got there in the end, so credit where it's due. I like the fact she feels the pull of the old gods when she visits the godswoods. I like the yeah. sort of sense that her latent northernness is coming out as she's sort of like separated from her family and freedom. Right. I kind yeah. of like that thought. Yeah, it's good stuff. I was I kind of had forgotten that it mentions in this chapter. I kind of had forgotten that she was more of a follower of the faith of the seven. She she describes it the way she describes it. She seemed like she's more in favor uh, in favor of the pomp and circumstances and all the right. she mentions the mother the pretty of pearl crystals. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, she's also showing some growth, I think. I, I think there was a time in this story. I mean, we haven't had that much time with Sansa, really. But there's definitely a time in this story when she would have simply rejected Dantas for being dopey, fat, and drunk. Yes. 100% agree. But now, because of his sincerity, she throws her lot in with him. And, and passionately as well. I mean, not just like, uh, I guess so. I got no other friends. But she was, like, moved and excited by the prospect. Right. Yeah, she has done some amazing growth in the uh, time we've known her, but she's also had some amazing hardships, and yeah, that'll that'll that. help you grow, that's for sure. She went from kind of a head in the clouds, the daughter of the Lord of Winterfell, to someone who's seen a lot of things, a lot of terrible things happen, and she's a lot wiser and more careful than she used to be. It including metal-encrusted fists coming towards her at great yes, speed. right. She's had her heart broken. She's, had peop- she's realized that a lot of people are liars and a lot of people yeah. don't have her best interests at heart. And that knights aren't always true knights. No. But dogs generally are pretty loyal. It's true. <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> Not my dog so much, but most people's dogs. 
<laughs> but just a note of caution, is Sedantus playing her? He sounded honest, but she really loves Florian and John Quill. That coincidence just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredibly convenient that he came up with that thought right at that moment, because that's, right. that's something that would definitely play heavy on her to sway her in his direction. Feels like a Varys or a Littlefinger move. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that he got a note to her troubles me as well. That also feels like something that he couldn't have orchestrated. Yep. Who... It feels like how, how I don't know how he would have gotten that note in there. I don't know how he'd be clever enough. Maybe he'd surprise. Maybe he's going to surprise us. He's way more clever than he appears. The, the, the same note is under every pillow in Mago's whole <laughs> The whole place comes. <laughs> That's what it the is. The Godswood is just jammed full of people <laughs> all bumping into each other. I want to go home. <laughs> I'm starving. <laughs> but then like you said it does sound a bit like a a Varys or maybe a Littlefinger thing but if Varys is not involved is there any chance that he doesn't get wind of this plot before they carry the plot out like I said earlier he got uh, he got wind of the Redwine twins escape plan yeah so well Perhaps Sedontus' inability to come up with a plan will protect him from having his plan found out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I haven't thought of anything, but I'm staying one step ahead of them. <laughs> if I don't know what the plan is, neither do they. But at least Sansa thinks that there's finally an action plan. Like Basically, since she informed Cersei about the plans for that Ned had to get Sansa and Arya out of King's Landing, she's basically been a passive spectator to everything that's going on. And, you know, she's she's finally got a plan. Again, of course, she's waiting on Sardantis here, but at least she has a secret to keep and a mission to possibly see through. Right, yeah. And and, and that's light at the end of the tunnel, you know. Right. Even yes. if even if it nothing happens from it, you've got something to dream about, to hope for. Right. So that's uh... That's yes. good for her. She's Something she's to... the one character who's had almost no agency or freedom for the longest time. Yeah. And not even a friend to talk to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she can go to bed thinking about this plan coming together and her finally getting out of her. She finally has a Instead of, of what miseries tomorrow holds. Yeah. Right, yeah. And and that you know, the hound he does protect her in his own kind of odd way. W- one thing we didn't mention is when Sir Bo- Boris asks her, what are you doing out here? And she makes up the line, says, I was praying in the godswood. Uh, again, the hound backs her and says, how do you expect her to sleep with all this noise going on? Right, yeah. And so, you know, he's he's backing her. Um, I got to say, Bo- I don't think Sir Boris really cared. He was just no. going through the motions. Yeah, I don't think so either. But, You're not yeah. escaping, and I've not been told to punch you, so on you go. <laughs> Whatever, get back to your room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, on the other hand, from uh, him protecting her, we've got the his line of, um, I'll have a song from you, will it or no? It's, you know, is it literal? Is it literal or uh, something more ominous? She needs to go back to Sedantus and say, "Let's uh, skip this. Let's, let's skip this along, please." <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll have a ticket tomorrow if you can. 
All right. As always, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at ghostharrenhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Discord. That's right. And if you wouldn't mind going out and leaving us a five-star rate and or a fantastic review, we certainly would appreciate that. Especially on Apple Podcasts, we're really trying to generate some uh, more reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you please give us a five-star rate and just a quick review. We certainly very much appreciate that. And hey, if you do, we might read it uh, on a future episode. Definitely will one day. That's right. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.